1 Samuel 9, all of 1 Samuel 9. It's on, if you have a red Bible, the one in front of you, it's on page 219. I just thought it would come up on the screen, that's all. And there's a lot of big town names, so apologies if I get these wrong. Also, I haven't practiced, so apologies for that. Okay, I might get started. Samuel anoints Saul. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zerah, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, um, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. He was a head taller than anyone else. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost, and Kish said to his son Saul, Take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area of Shalisha, but they did not find them. They went on into the district of Shalim, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. When he reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look, in this town there is a man of God. He is highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. Saul said to his servant, If we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take the man of God. What do we have? The servant asked him, answered him again, Look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so he will tell us what way to take. Formerly in Israel, if someone went to inquire of God, they would say, come let us go to the seer, because the prophet of God used to be called a seer. Good, Saul said to his servant, come, let's go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. As they were going up the hill to the town, they met some young women coming out to draw water. They asked him, is the seer here? He is, they answered, he's ahead of you. Hurry now. He has just come to our town today for the people have a sacrifice at the high place. As soon as you enter the town, you will find him before he goes to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Go up now, you should find him about this time. Then they went up to the town and as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming towards them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. Then Samuel caught sight of Saul. The Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke about, spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me. And in the morning I will send you on your way and I will, and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, don't worry about them. They have been found. And to whom is all the desire, oh, and to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? Saul answered, but, I am, not a, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of those who were invited, about 30 in number. Samuel said to the cook, Bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one I told you to lay aside. So the cook took up the, the thigh with what was on it and set it out in front of Saul. 
Samuel said, Here is what has been kept for you. Eat because it was set aside for you for this occasion. From the time I said, I have invited guests. And And Saul dined with Samuel that day. After they came down from the high place of the town, Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of his house. They rose about daybreak and Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Get ready and I will send you on your way. When Saul got ready, he and Samuel went outside together. As they were going down the edge of town, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. But the servant did so, oh, and the servant did so. But you stay here for a while so that I may give you a message from God. So I'm just going to pray with you and we're going to have a look at this passage together. <clears throat> Lord, uh, just like when you lift up the blinds uh, in a dark room and the light comes in, would you lift up the blinds of our heart so uh, the light would come in tonight from your word into our souls for our light and life and hope, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been travelling through the book of 1 Samuel. It's an obscure little book buried in uh, the Old Testament and it's written, believe this or not, 3,000 years ago. So we're going back a long, long way. Um, but my desire is that we would take an ancient scripture, 3,000 years old, and the Lord would, by his spirit, uh, speak to us some truth from this word. Where we're up to in 1 Samuel, uh, we're nine chapters in now, and where we're up to is that the people of God, the nation of Israel, at this time had never had a king, ever. And um, Samuel, who was the prophet at the time, he was old and the elders from all around the nation of Israel gathered together and they came and they had this conference with Samuel. And they said, Samuel, you're old. And um, we've been looking at how the other nations around the place do it and they've got kings. And in fact, Samuel, we want you to give us a king. Samuel is brokenhearted and he goes and talks to God about it and God says to Samuel, Samuel, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. They've been rejecting me ever since they came out of Egypt. They've been rejecting me as king. But Samuel, I want you to listen to their voice and give them a king. Give them the king that they've asked for. And so Samuel goes back to the people and he says, okay, people, um, God says it's okay. You can have your king. And then he says at the end of chapter 8, Samuel said to the Israelites, every one of you now go back to your towns. So I'm just imagining all these elders then saying, okay, we're going to go back and taking different routes and there they go, back to their towns. They've got their promise that they would have a king, but they haven't got the promise king yet. They had asked for a king, but he hasn't come yet. And Samuel sends them, says, go back, go back to your town. So now the nation of Israel is waiting, waiting. God has promised a king. And they've just got to wait. When will this king appear? 
And then we start reading this very, very strange story in 1 Samuel chapter 9. There was a Benjamite, a Benjaminite, a man of standing whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeroi, the son of Bekorah, the son of Aphia, of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. He was a terrific-looking young fella, and he was head and shoulders above anyone else. And then we hear something really strange. You see, the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his his son Saul, take one of my servants with you and go and have a look for these donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area of of uh, Shalisha and they couldn't find them. And they kept traveling from place to place, looking. <laughs> they looked at uh, Shalem, the donkeys weren't there. They passed through the per- territory of Benjamin, that the donkeys weren't there. And so you're saying to me, where is this story going? I thought this nation was on the cusp of a kind of a whole new revolution, like a, a king, they never had a king. And why are we chasing these donkeys around the countryside? Well, they come to the region of Zuf, far from home, and Saul, this handsome young man, taller than anyone else around him, says to his servant, I give up. (laughs) Let's just go home. I'm just ready to go home. Dad's going to be worried about us now. He's not going to to worry about the donkeys. And, um, but then we get a hint that this story is actually more than about the donkeys. Because the servant turns to Saul and he says, Look, in this town there is a man of God and he is highly respected and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now because perhaps he will tell us the way to take. The servant turns to Saul and says, Saul, we're, we're at Zuf. Um, and there's a, there's, a, there's a man of God here and everything he says comes true. I, I, each time I read that, I, I think, wow, wow. Can you imagine meeting someone and everything they said comes true? Nothing that they say falls to the ground. And Saul says, well, okay, but we've got nothing to give him. Our sacks are empty. We've been traveling for so long. Um, We've got nothing to give. What are we going to give the bloke? And the servant says, look, I've got a quarter of shekel of of silver. We can give that to them, bloke. And um, Saul says, cool, let's go. So there they go, up towards Zuf. And as they were going up the hill to the town, it says in verse 11, they met some young women coming out to draw water and they asked them, is the seer here? That's the prophet, sometimes called a seer. And he is, they answered. So so Saul sees these women coming 
out of the town at that time to draw water, no hot and cold running water in those days. They were coming out to get their water and says to the women, is the seer here? And, and the women say, yes, he's, he's ahead of you. You've got to hurry, though. <laughs> You've got to hurry because he's just come today. The people have a sacrifice and they won't begin eating until he comes because he's got to bless He's got to bless the sacrifice. And afterwards, um, the people who are invited will eat. But go up now, fellas, quick, if you want to see him. And so they do. So they went up to the town, and as they were entering the town, there was the seer, Samuel, the prophet, coming towards them on his way up to the high place. And then we're let into a secret that we didn't know up till now. Because it says in verse 15 that God had been speaking to Samuel the day before. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. This is the Lord's words now to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him, ruler over my people, Israel. He will be a deliverer. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I've looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. And when Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. And so as readers, when we read this, for us, it's like, ah, I'm beginning to see. This story is not actually all about donkeys. This is about God bringing Saul to the prophet Samuel, to his actually own town, so Samuel could anoint him and make him king. God is actually, in this story, fulfilling his promise that he will give the nation of Israel a king. And did you notice that God says, I've looked on the cry, on my people, for their cry has reached me. God's heart is for his people. It's not about anyone else. It's actually not about even about Samuel or Saul or the donkeys. It's about God's heart for the people. Their cry has reached me and I'm going to give them a king. And notice that even though the, God, the, the people have rejected God as their king and they want a king, God has not rejected the people. It reminds me of when I was a little kid, um, and I'm ashamed every time to tell you this story, but it's true, that when I was a little kid, um, my mum would want me to get to do certain things. And I actually had a very gentle mother, so, um, but I was a naughty boy, and... Um, I remember her wanting me to do something and anyway, at one point, I said to her, I hate you. And she said, well, I still love you. And that reminds me of this because it's like um, the people are throwing off God and saying, I, I don't, we don't want you as our king anymore. And yet God has got a promise that he's made to this people and he still loves them and he's caring for them. He's with them. Are you part of the covenant people of God? 
Because if you are part of the covenant people of God, he hears your cry. He hears your cry and he cares for you. Even in your darkest, darkest, most terrible hour, he loves you. The story continues. Saul approaches Samuel in the gateway. So now here's the situation. Saul coming out of the city, ready to go up to the high place. Sorry, Samuel coming out and Saul coming up and they, there they are. And Saul goes up to Samuel in the gateway and says, would you please tell me where the seer's house is, where the prophet's house is? And Samuel says, I am the seer. Go up ahead of me to the high place for today you are to eat with me and in the morning I will send you on your way and I'll tell you all that it's on your heart and as for the donkeys that you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found. And to whom has all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and to your whole family? Saul is coming to, into the city of Zuth to meet Samuel, but all he's got on his mind is donkeys that have been lost. That's, that's what he's got in his mind. But Samuel the prophet says, Saul... I want you to go up to the sacrifice. And I'm telling you that those donkeys that you're looking for, and no one's told Samuel, it's God that's told Samuel, those donkeys that you look for, they've been found, so stop worrying about them. And then when it says, and to whom, has the, uh, to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you, what's the desire of Israel? The desire of Israel is that they would have a king. And so what Samuel is saying to Saul is the desire of Israel is turned to you. You are going to be the king. Go up, he says, eat. Saul is just freaked out by this because he's just got donkeys. He's just got, that's all he, all he's been seeking for is donkeys. And all of a sudden, the prophet is saying, you're going to be the king of Israel. And he says, but, I, but am I not a Benjaminite from the smallest tribe of Israel and, not only, and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? You're freaking me out. You, 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 why? You're crazy. I'm from the clan of Benjamin, which is the, the, I mean, the tribe of Benjamin, which is the least and smallest tribe of all, the most, unimp the most imp unimpressive tribe. And I'm the smallest clan in Benjamin. And I'm, I'm, why would you say that such a thing to me? Do you know, all through the Bible, all through the Bible, God loves to choose the weakest why do you think he chose Abraham and Sarah who were barren and had no kids? And God loves to choose that which is weak to make a whole nation. Why? Because he loves to choose the weak things to reveal his strength. Are you weak here tonight? Are you weak? Are you insignificant? God loves to choose the weak things of the world, to shame the strong, the things that are not, to make the things that are for his glory 
He loves to choose the weak things of the world. Samuel goes up to the meal. They have this feast together. They come down. Samuel takes him up to the roof of his house. They have a chat. And at daybreak, um, Samuel says to Saul, get ready, I'm going to send you on your way. So Saul gets ready and they're on their way out, out of the city. And um, they're going down to the edge of the town, it says in verse 27. And Samuel says to Saul, tell your servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you stay here for a while so that I may give you a message from God. Samuel says to Saul, I just want you, just tell your servant, go ahead, but stay here. Saul, because I've got a message for God for you. And at that moment, he pulled out his flask of oil and anointed him king. That's our story. But I want us now to think of three lessons that we can learn from this story. I want to first of all talk about I'll just give you a word about how God accomplishes his purposes. So that's the first thing I want to talk about. Second thing I want to talk about is about how the king accomplishes his purposes. And thirdly, a word about um, the word of God and how God accomplishes his purposes through us and in us by his word. But the first one, something about how... God accomplishes his purposes. I want you to think about poor Mr. Kish. Because he's lost his donkeys. And that may not mean much to you, but I'm a sheep farmer and I know that when something happens to my animals, it really weighs on my heart. It worries me. (laughs) And these donkeys are lost. They're gone. And they they represent value. They represent um, his wealth. And what are they okay? Have they been ripped to shreds by wild beasts? Have they been stolen? Have they found water? Where are they? And, And what about life is going to be hard for the family because our wealth has just disappeared? And Mr. Kish must have been thinking to himself, God, I thought I was part of God's family. How, how come I've got this hit on my life, this terrible thing that's happened to me, that I've lost my donkeys? And yet God was, through the loss of these donkeys, causing his son Saul to go looking for them, to arrive at Samuel's house, and for him to be anointed king. God was accomplishing through the loss of donkeys. These donkeys, I want you to think about these donkeys. Strange things to ask you to do, but this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to think about what was going on in the mind of the donkeys. What was going on in the mind of the donkeys? And you might say, well, not much. Because all they can, what's going on in their little brains is that they're escaped and they're, fr- they're enjoying their freedom and there they are trotting across the countryside and they're enjoying food and whatever and they are not much going on inside their brains. 
But God, through these donkeys, through these donkeys trotting over the countryside, God is at work, purposing something great for the kingdom, to, to establish a king. Think of these lost fellas. They're going from town to town. All they feel is disappointment. All they feel is failure. They can't find these donkeys. God, where are you, God? (laughs) I thought that you were on our side. I thought you were supposed to be doing something. You were supposed to be helping me. Saul was ready to go home and says so to the servant. Let's go home. Let's give up. But God was at work. Powerfully at work, invisibly at work. And this is the lesson for us tonight. Don't think that when things go bad for you, that God is not working. Do you know there are things in my life, some of the most difficult, painful, devastating things in my life, when I look back, I know that the Lord was working and I know that I actually would not be standing in this spot now preaching had of not God done some terrible things. And there will be things for you too. What darkness, what difficulty, what hardship face you. Please don't conclude when hardship comes that God is not working. Think also about the human decisions that were made in this. Will you think with me for a minute? I just want you to think now about human decisions that were made in this story. First of all, the decision of Mr. Kish. He is lying in bed, worried, just worried, sick about these donkeys, and he makes a decision. I'm going to send my boy, and I'm going to tell him to take a servant. So Gets Saul and says, Saul, I've made a decision. I want you to choose a servant. So Saul chooses a servant. So Saul makes it. And then they make these decisions to go from this town to this town to this town. And, and they're making all these decisions about what to do. And, and Saul makes a decision to go home. But the servant makes a decision to speak up and says, no, 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 let's not. Let's go. To, there's a bloke here. Everything he says comes true. And he convinces Saul. And it's because of that servant who spoke up and said to Saul, let's go to Zuf and see the the seer, see the prophet, that Saul ends up getting anointed as king. Now, if that servant had not spoken up, they'd be heading, they'd be getting home. So, 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 do you see, without the servant, no anointing of the king. What was the servant's name? We don't know what the servant's name was. Do you know the servant was just looking to God? He just wanted to go and see the prophet of God. He was just doing his own thing. Do you know, you might think that what you're doing counts for nothing. You might think that you're an insignificant little person, that nothing you do matters, that it influences no one. But the servant, whose name we don't even know, was used by God 
for the anointing of the king. And I'm just encouraging you. Don't think that your life is insignificant and that you can't achieve and you're not doing much. You are to be like this little unknown servant. Do the things of God and you might not even know what he accomplishes through you, but he will accomplish things to you through you as you look to him. So, one more thing in this section and that is that I want to ask you. Did you notice in verse 16 that the Lord speaks to Samuel? This might fry your brains, but the Lord speaks to Samuel and he says, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people. About this time tomorrow, God says, God of heaven says to Samuel, I will send you a man from Benjamin. It's God's decision that the man from Benjamin comes, that Saul comes. It's God's decision. So now I've got a question for you. Was it the decision of Kish and Saul and the servant and all that? Was it their decision and that's why Saul got anointed as king? Or was it God's decision? (laughs) Which one? And over and over again in the Bible, it's both. And I don't know how this works. I honestly do not know how it works. But God is much greater than you've ever imagined him to be. (laughs) Way greater than you've ever imagined him to be. Somehow, we have decisions that we make freely. We make these decisions and we do these things, but God is accomplishing his purposes. Ask me how he does it, I do not know. But he's, more, he's worthy of our worship because he's that great. He's extraordinary, this God that we serve. Do things happen because of human decisions and our free will or God's decisions? And somehow, mysteriously, mind-bogglingly, God is doing both. That's the first one, and it's the longest one. The other two are shorter. Let me just say something. That's the first one about a word about how God accomplishes his purposes. But secondly, a word about the king, how the king accomplishes his purposes. In verse 17, so this is the picture. Samuel is coming out of the town and Saul is coming up to the town and Samuel gets his first glimpse of Saul. And this is what it says. Samuel caught sight of Saul and the Lord said to Samuel, this is the man that I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. So Samuel just sees him and God says, boom, that's the bloke. He's the guy. He's the one that's going to anoint, going to govern my people. Do you know Saul's name actually means asked for, asked for. The people asked for a king. They're saying, God, give us, they're saying to Samuel, please give us a king. Now, the the name Samuel, Saul, actually means asked for. So this is the king that the, 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 the people had asked for. And in a different version... It says that this is the man I spoke to you about. He will be the man that restrains my people. In other words, this is the one that 
I am going to anoint and he will be king and he will govern my people. He's the first king that Israel ever had. And he, and he was anointed, he reigned with great authority, and he had power over the people. Do you know there's many people who say, if only we could have a strong leader in our country, someone that would just be a really strong leader, strong government, that would solve all our problems. If only we could have a, just a really strong leader. Well, Saul did be a strong leader. He was anointed as king. But do you know what? He ended up, I don't know whether you know his story, but he ended up a failed king, a badly failed king. And God knows that our human need is deeper than just to have some strong government. 1,000 years later, even more. Um, there was the last king of Israel. I've just told you about the first king of Israel, Saul. But 1,000 years later, the last king of Israel was anointed king. And the prophet at the time was not Samuel, the prophet of the time was John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist first caught, caught a glimpse, when, when Samuel first caught a glimpse of Saul, God said, this is the one, he's going to restrain my people. But, but when, when John the Baptist first caught a glimpse of Jesus, that's the last king that was ever anointed in Israel, John the Baptist said these words, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He didn't say this is the one that's going to govern. He didn't say that this is the one that's going to restrain and rule. No, he said, he said look, here's a lamb, <laughs> a little lamb. I've got lambs at home. They're tiny. They're weak. They're very, very vulnerable. They don't rule and they don't reign. Jesus is a different kind of king. He didn't come in the first place to rule with great authority. He didn't sit on any throne. No, he came as a lamb, as a little lamb, to die on a cross. He became vulnerable. He did not restrain his people. In fact, it was the tables were turned. Every, without restraint, people attacked him and beat him and smashed him, and he ended up on the cross dying for our sins. And that's because God knows that our first need is not a ruler that would govern us. Our first need is a lamb that would die for us in our place. This lamb that would wash away our sins, that would die in our place, that would take our guilt off us, that would give us a new heart a cleansed heart, a new life. The real solution to the world's problems is not a strong ruler. It is God that would come as a little lamb and die for us. That's number two. But lastly, could I say to you a word about how God wants to accomplish his his purposes through you. 
through his word. The very last <clears throat> line in 1 Samuel chapter 9 is when Samuel says to Saul, tell your servant to go ahead. Tell your servant to go ahead. But stop here yourself for a while that I, make no, that I may make known to you the word of God. Saul, tell your servant to go ahead. But I want you to stop here for a minute, for a while, while I make known to you the word of God. Do you know it's the word of God that's been the invisible wind and power that has been running through this whole story because God, it was the God's word that said, yes, there can be a king. It was God's word that said to Samuel, tomorrow I'm going to send you someone. It was God's word that said to Samuel, this is the one. God's word has been the power that has been working invisibly behind all this. And now Samuel says to Saul, come here, tell your servant to go ahead. I want to make known to you the word of God. The word of God. I just want you to know the thing that has changed my life more than anything else in my whole life is when God has made his word known to me. Totally devastated my life. Unraveled me. And restored me. And made me new. When God's word comes to you... Alistair Begg says this is the job of the preacher, <laughs> to say to the people, will you stop here for a minute? Just stop a while and let me make known the word of God to you. Will you stop? Will you listen? Because when the word of God comes to you or me, look, so many people, we've got hearts, hearts that are hard and, and the word of God comes like a, like a grain of wheat and it bounces on our hard hearts and it bounces off and it's gone. But if we've got a heart that's like soil ploughed up deep, then the word of God can sink deeply and have a very, very powerful effect, life-transforming effect in our lives. My desire for each one of us is that we would be fruitful. Don't you want to be fruitful? I don't want to live a life... And get to the end of my life and think that was just so fruitless. It was a wasted life. I wasted my life. I, in my job, I sit um, at the side of bedsides of people that are dying. It's a privilege. It's a great privilege. Their lives are over. They're dying. And almost n I've never heard one of them so far ever say, I wish I made more money or I wish I this, or I wish I that. It is, I, I, want, I, I wanted to have a fruitful life, and it's gone so fast. It's gone so fast. And I want to say to you tonight, the way that we be fruitful is for the word of God to sink deeply in our hearts, and it's got its life of its own. When a seed comes and falls into the ground, that seed's got a life and a power of its own. And when the word of God comes to us, especially the word of the cross, of Christ dying for our sins and rising again in power, 
and it sinks into our hearts. It changes us. It's got a life in us. And we become fruitful. Fruitful in a way that we could never otherwise be. So I'm encouraging you um, tonight to know that God is an amazing God who accomplishes his purposes in amazing ways. The king he has sent us has not come, first of all, to rule, but to die in our place humbly for us. And that he wants to accomplish a good and gracious purpose in us. And the way for that to happen is for his word to sink deeply into our hearts. We're going to sing again and ask the band to come and I'm going to pray. Lord, uh, we are praying to you, we're thanking the, you that you are a God of truth and of mercy and of grace. Lord, we, we so much need you. Um, we honour you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.